experiences where we can come into the, the presence of God and to hear from Him. There is a great joy in gathering together and to doing, doing that. And so it's going to be a joy for us to work together over these next months. So looking forward to it, brother. Good people can sometimes lose their way. Do you know that? Good people can sometimes lose their way. John McCain was a good man. Uh, he was a decorated war hero. He was a presidential candidate. He uh, spoke at the 2012 uh, Republican National Convention, and in his speech he said this, We went to Washington to change it. Instead, Washington changed us. Dr. James Dobson uh, was, is one of the baby boomers faith heroes. And he wrote in a newsletter of his discouragement and his disillusionment uh, when President Bill Clinton's administration prescribed some far-reaching policies that impacted our nation. John the Baptist was the man who, who baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. It was the, the beginning, the inauguration of Christ's uh, public ministry and yet later, John was put into prison, and he sent a messenger to Jesus because he was struggling. And the question was this, Jesus, are you the Christ, or should we expect someone else? Martin Luther, the founder of the Great Reformation, a man who championed the doctrine of grace, in the latter years of his life, was one of the least gracious leaders in the Protestant Reformation. Uh, the Apostle Peter three times denied that he was a disciple of Jesus. So my premise today is this. The best of people can lose their way. Now we expect children and students to make mistakes. But as uh, children and youth grow to uh, maturity, to adulthood, we have a tendency for our expectations of them to be raised, commensurate with them being mature. And in the context of those expectations, we sometimes forget that mature Christ followers get confused. Mature believers slip and stumble. Even the godliest of believers can lose their spiritual equilibrium. So today we're going to look at the 21st chapter of John, and we're going to learn more about how Jesus restores good, mature, godly believers who have slipped and stumbled. So John 21, verses 1 through 17. Afterward, Jesus appeared. This is after his resurrection. Now, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John, and two of their disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. It's kind of a typical response. No. You can just kind of sense the emotion in that. No, nothing, nada. And he said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. 
And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that would be John, the author of this gospel, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and then jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. And Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but, not, but even so, um, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, this story occurs about two or three weeks after the resurrection of Jesus. They are up in Galilee in the north because of a command that Jesus had given to them that's recorded in Matthew's account in which Jesus told them to go to Galilee and he would meet with them there. So in obedience to that, they went to the north and uh, they have this fishing story. As I said, this is the third of 11 documented appearances that Jesus made in the 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension. So as we begin today in this story, the first question is this. Why did Peter go fishing? As one commentator says, never has a fishing trip been so severely judged. Probably true. Here's another conundrum. Why is it that the Minnesota opening fishing weekend occurs Mother's Day weekend? Have you wondered why that is? Perhaps the greatest gift that a husband can give to his wife is to be gone on Mother's Day and taking a few of the children with him. We really don't know, but it's an interesting conundrum, isn't it? So there's three possible reasons for uh, Peter to go fishing. One of them takes uh, his, uh, uh, his fishing experience very seriously, and they say, well, Peter's defecting. He is reverting back to his former life and his former occupation. He's abandoning his faith, or at least he's abandoning his call as a disciple. Now, when I think about this, I think it probably reads too much into his actions. It takes too seriously what is happening here. So a second possible reason is that it was recreation. 
I mean, they needed to eat, and they knew how to fish. Uh, They were to wait for the outpouring of the Spirit of God. And so nothing like a little bit of fishing to bide your time while you're waiting. I think this uh, reason takes this action too lightly. I, I think the best answer to why Peter went fishing is the fact that he is confused. And I see three reasons why he is most likely confused. First of all, going back about a month now, we have the week of the passion. It was such an emotional roller coaster. On Palm Sunday, Jesus enters into Jerusalem. The great crowd gathers, and they say, Crown him, crown him, Hosanna. Five days later, he is crucified. It's no longer crown him, but it's crucify him. And so the the tide of public opinion had changed so quickly in such a short amount of time. And then in addition to uh, that roller coaster, there is the resurrection. So when you put together his Palm Sunday experience, the crucifixion, and then the resurrection. There's just a lot of stuff that's going on. It was truly an emotional roller coaster for all of the disciples. Secondly, Peter had denied three times that he knew Jesus. And so these days are incredibly awkward for him. It is the proverbial... uh, uh, elephant in the living room. Just think as he's hanging around with his disciples, never knowing when Jesus is going to appear, and this, there's this memory of three times denying that he knew Christ. Very confusing for Peter. And then, of course, the third reason is the fact that the resurrection of Jesus now changed uh, Christ's relationship with those disciples. You see, prior to his resurrection... All the disciples had been with him. They had been continuously in his presence. But now after his resurrection, we're told in verse 1 that Jesus appeared to them. There's now a difference in their relationship from constantly in his presence to Jesus appearing occasionally to them. So you put all of these things together and you begin to realize that Peter is very confused. He can't make sense of all that is happening, but now he's up there you know, on the Sea of Galilee. This is his home turf. He, he, he can smell you know, the fish in the lake. He, he can see the nets. He knows fishing. And so he decides that in the midst of this very confusing time, he says, I'm going to do some fishing. In the midst of the unknown, it's nice to resort to that which is known. In the unpredictable, it's also to know that something can be predictable. I think what is true for Peter is also true for us, that when we're confused or when we're in confusing times, difficult times to understand, there is a a tendency for us to, to revert back to that which is known. Now, it might not be healthy. It might not be good. But frankly, it's familiar. And it might be comfortable. And so we follow ourselves uh, resorting and reverting back to something that was part of a, our, our former life. And so I think this is what is happening to Peter. So the second question is this. How does Jesus respond to confused and troubled disciples? 
And so in this story, I see it kind of as a three-step process that Jesus walks Peter through. And so the first step in Jesus' restoration of confused disciples is this. Jesus has compassion for me. And so he begins with a gentle reminder to them of what life was like before they knew Jesus. And so there's this fishing story. They had fished all night. And so that morning, because Jesus already knew that they hadn't caught anything. But, you know, he says, hey, guys, didn't catch anything. And there's that monosyllabic answer, no. It's kind of like, you know, a conversation with a teenager. He comes home from school and you say, how was your day? Fine. Anything special about your day? No. Hungry? Yep. And that's it. That's the conversation. Just one word answers. And so uh, that's kind of what's happening here. And so uh, Jesus tells them that they should fish in this one area. And so he performs another amazing miracle. I mean, Jesus is the most amazing fish finder. Cabela's has nothing in their shelves that compares with the x-ray vision of the Son of God seeing fish in the Sea of Galilee. And so there's this wonderful miracle that he performs. And so he says, hey, bring those, that net to shore with what you have now caught. And so as they bring uh, the, the, the boat and the net to shore, they get on land and they, be, they see that Jesus has already made a fire and he's made breakfast for them. Now just picture this for a moment. They've been fishing all night long, and all they've caught is weeds and weariness. Their clothing is probably a little bit damp from being on the lake, maybe a little chilled. And so as they arrive at shore that morning, the sun is coming up over the mountains. And it's beginning to warm their damp clothing. And they come around the fire. It's warm. And they got, there's fish there on the fire. And all of this is catered by the Son of God. And folks, it doesn't get any better than that. Jesus made breakfast for confused disciples. Do you not see the compassion of Jesus to these confused disciples? This passage just drips with his compassion for uh, the disciples. Now, this compassion reaches its peak in his remarks to Peter. So Peter, of course, had every right at this point in time to dread encountering Jesus. In fact, this story is very similar, almost identical to a story back in Luke chapter 5, very early in Christ's ministry. Again, the fishermen, they had been out on the lake. They had caught nothing all night long. And so the next morning, Jesus teaches, uses the boat to teach. And then uh, he says, hey, let's go out and let's catch some fish. And so they do. And, And as the fish are caught, Peter's response to this miracle by Jesus is the words, Lord, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Now, when we compare that story to this one, we see that his behavior is so radically different. There, he wanted to run from the presence of Jesus. In this story, he can't get to Jesus fast enough. What has changed? 
Well, you see, Peter has been in the company of Jesus long enough to know Jesus' heart. And he knew that in the heart of Jesus, he would find not condemnation of him, but rather compassion for him. Now, that's incredibly significant for us to understand today. The compassion of Jesus for us. Now, unfortunately, there are a whole lot of people in the world who have a, 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 an image of God that is so inaccurate. There are some people today who see God like the person in this picture that we're putting on the screen. That somehow God is like this celestial police officer who is just waiting for us to do something wrong and then pounce on us. Catch us doing something that is wrong. And I want you to know today that that is your image of what God is doing in heaven as he looks at your life. I want you to know that that is so not the God of the Bible. That is so inaccurate. And I want you to take that image of God and I want you to X that out from your mind. And I want you to replace it with this image. That of Jesus making breakfast on the shores of the Sea of Galilee for confused disciples. And you might be one of them today. The compassion of Jesus for confused people. Romans 8 and verse 1 makes this strong declaration. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is a fact. That's a truth that I want to build my life upon. There is no condemnation for anyone, no matter how he or she has lived, there is no condemnation for anyone who are in Christ Jesus. That's a truth that we need to embrace. Years ago, I came across a very significant poem by Nancy Spiegelberg. We're going to put it on the screen. And this is what she says. Lord, I crawled across the barrenness to you with my empty cup, uncertain in asking for any small drop of refreshment. If only I had known you better, I'd have come running with a bucket. So you come to your devotions in the morning, or do you come to your prayer list as you come to a worship service are you bringing a little cup are you bringing a bucket you see if you understand the compassion and the heart of Jesus you'll exchange the cup for a bucket because that's who he is and so this is how the restoration of confused disciples begin no condemnation but rather that of compassion for you. So Jesus then asks Peter the same question three times, and that leads us to the second step in his restoration. It moves from a compassion for me to a confidence, or to, shall we say, a, a confirmation of me. So Jesus asks Peter this question, do you love me more than these? So the question is, who are the these? 
Some have said, well, the, these are the, the nets and the boat and its fishing occupation. And I think that's unlikely. Others have said that the these refers to the disciples. Do you love me more than you love these disciples? I think that is also unlikely. I think what's happening here is that Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these disciples love me? Because see, that would be an odd question for us to, to consider Jesus asking Peter. And yet, remember that a few weeks previous, uh, Peter had boasted and said, Lord, if all the world and these fellows were to desert you, I never would. And so I think Jesus is picking up on that. Do you love me, Peter, more than these people love me? And so we have here a very loving and confirming action by Jesus, doing it three times to give Peter the opportunity to, uh, to affirm and to confirm his love for Jesus, even as he had denied him three times. You see, rather than replaying the events of that night, he simply says, Jesus, or it says to Peter, are we good? You know, it, it could have been such that, that Jesus would have said to Peter, let's sit down and let's talk about all the, the nuances of what happened. And let's, 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 let's relive that and find out why it is that you did that. And, and Jesus just simply doesn't go there. He says, no need to rehash all of the reasons for that. He just needed to know, Peter, do you love me? When my boys were in high school, my two sons, Adam and Andrew, we would engage in some very passionate, spirited conversations. And uh, they weren't always uh, peacefully resolved. In fact, sometimes they were never resolved. And so, you know, you, you kind of walk away and, and, and uh, you say, I maybe need to revisit this. And so, you know, I'd come back later or the next day and we wouldn't jump into the details of the discussion. But I would just simply ask my boys this. Are we okay? Are we okay? They knew exactly what I was saying. You know, our, even though we disagreed here, are we okay in our hearts? And in a very real sense, that's what's happening with Jesus and Peter that morning. He didn't go back in all the details of Peter's denial. Peter was already filled with guilt and shame. And Jesus knew that. And, and, and rather than having Peter recall all that, he just simply says, Peter, are we good? I'm good with you. Are you good with me? And so, so beautiful to see how, how that morning Jesus indeed confirms their relationship. And so Peter hears that. But the question probably lingering in Peter's mind is this. Okay, so we're good. Our relationship is secure. But will Jesus ever trust me again? Have I been disqualified from service because of what I did? And so that leads to the third and the final step of, of Peter's restoration. He, Jesus confirms that he has great confidence in Peter. And so after the questions, do you love me? He then says, feed my sheep. Three times he says that to him. He reassures Peter of his continued value to the cause. At this point in time, Jesus may have greater confidence in Peter than Peter has in himself. And so what's fascinating 
is that when you turn into Acts chapter 1, as they're waiting in Jerusalem for the outpouring of the Spirit, Peter there emerges as this restored, confident, initiating leader of the disciples and of the group, that group of 120, that's waiting for the outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And so Peter learned, as we learned, that we have a God of the second and the third and the fourth chance, a God who sees us not just as we are today, but a God who sees what we can become when we permit the Spirit of God to work within us. A God who probably has more confidence in our future and what we can do than what we have in our own selves. Great story is told about the legendary coach of the Green Bay Packers. His name was Vince Lombardi. It was at a practice session there in, in Green Bay that there was a young offensive lineman who was having a terrible practice. In fact, it was such a bad practice for him that Lombardi came up to him and said, Son, hit the showers. It's just a bad day for you. Get off the practice field. Go take a shower. So after practice, Lombardi found out this player in the locker room who was still sitting there in his dirty, sweaty uniform. Confused, discouraged over his performance that day. And Lombardi put his arm around this young player and he said son what I told you on the field is true and yet he said I didn't tell you the entire story because in reality I want you to know this I see the potential in you and son I'm going to stick with you until that potential comes out and you become the player I know that you can be. And so, with those words, a young offensive lineman by the name of Jerry Kramer began to feel much better about himself. And he went on to become a Hall of Fame player and was voted the best offensive lineman in the NFL in its first 50 years of existence. And I happen to believe that it was Lombardi's words to that young player that day that changed the course of his trajectory. John 21 is the story of the restoration, not just of Peter, but of anyone who has slipped and stumbled or who has wandered away. And I want you to know this morning that Jesus says to you, I'm going to stick with you. I'm going to stay right with you and by the power of my spirit living in you, I'm going to work and walk with you so that you can become all that I want you to become and all that in your spirit you desire to be. And Jesus will restore you as he restored Peter. That morning on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus made breakfast. Jesus also made a meal for us to enjoy. It's called the Lord's table. And he invites us to come to that table. And so after a number of months of not having the opportunity to do that, today we're going to celebrate this wonderful communion with the Lord. 
And what we're going to do as the song is being sung, uh, the elders are going to release you to come up here and, and pick up a, a packet. It's going to have both the wafer and juice in it. And so uh, pick up a packet and then go back to your seat. And as the song unfolds, uh, think about the words of the song and about the message. And then you'll be able to tear off the wafer, the lid off the wafer and then off the cup. Use these next moments to think of the compassion of Jesus for you. To remember that his body was broken for you. His blood was shed for you and for me to restore us to himself. And so let's together have a feast that Jesus has prepared for us.